welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, are there any boxing fans out there? I know Jim and Geraldine, you guys are, are big fans. And uh, I imagine, Marco, you're probably a big fan. And Janice, huh, who knew you were such a big fan? I'd, I'd watch out, Marco. I'd be careful about what you say. But uh, it's good to know. Good to know. Good to know. I, You know, most people who are not even fans of the sport, however, would recognize the name Mike Tyson. Iron Mike, which was his nickname, he was the, the most feared boxer uh, in, towards the late 80s into the 90s. And, and, and even today, he remains one of the greatest fighters of, of all time. And in his prime, he was absolutely devastating. And, and as he overwhelmed his opponents with his just his sheer power and aggression, even though he was often small, he'd get right up in there and, and you know, made him such a, a unique and powerful boxer. And he's quoted with this famous line, that, you know, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. And, you know, that's very true in boxing. Because in, in reality, a boxing match is really a test of two combatants. That, you know, before the fight, they're throwing back and forth verbal jabs and the, the trash talking and the taunting and so forth. And, and they've, they're retraining and they're developing a plan and they're, they're trusting in their skill and they're, they're going into that ring and now they're being put to the test. All their ability, all their training in that plan is being put to the test. And and really, it's that first big punch on the jaw that now you start to find out how good is that plan? How much talent do you really have? And and how well are you going to fare against this opponent here? And in the case of Iron Mike, not many people did very well as they discovered when they were looking up at him from the from the mat. But but, you know, I, I reflected on on why that intro came to my mind. I mean, because we're talking about marriage, and hopefully your marriage is not a boxing match in that sense. But um, but I, I did think about how appropriate it is because our marriages are very much in a fight. They're very much in a battle. And, and also in a battle in a sense that we didn't expect it. You know, when, when you enter into a marriage, you... You're marrying that person that you love, that you want to spend all your time with, and and everything is is you know wonderful, and you're excited about it, and then you find out when the first stumble happens, when the first first time you you know hopefully figuratively got punched in the face, where where things didn't go your way, and suddenly your plan goes a little bit sideways. Now what do we do? How do we how do we respond when all that's happening? And and so what we're going to look at this morning is something that I, I want to share with every married couple that comes into my office for counseling. It's, it's in fact, maybe the, the best piece of marital advice or counsel that you're going to get in this series that we're going through. But I also think that it's not just limited to marriage. I think what we're going to look at really applies to every single relationship. So even if you're not married, it still has application for you. Um, but it, it applies to to our our family members, it applies to our siblings, it applies to our our uh, our friends, our coworkers, and even I think especially towards yourself. But within the context of marriage, I think it's vitally important because of the intimacy that that you're going to experience with this other person. And so the issue that we're going to look at this morning is, is how do we protect one another? So that's that's what we're going to look at. So let's open up with some prayer and and we're going to trust Jesus as best we know how. Father. We, um, 
We thank you that we get to, to come back to you and to your word to understand how do we relate to one another and how, do, how can we participate in protecting one another? Because we're in a fight, we're in a battle. Battle's not against one another. It's a, it's a battle against our enemy, the, the forces of darkness. And they are doing everything they can to tear us down and to rob us of the joy and the peace that you've offered to us. And so, Father, I pray that this morning, as I trust you as, a, as I best I know how, that words of life would be spoken, that words of encouragement and that would lead us to trust, trusting you primarily, but also trusting other people as you work through them. In your name we pray, amen. Well, there are, there are certain things I think that we all share as humanity. For example, we all, we all share this planet. That's just reality of it. We, we all share the frustration with Southern Ontario weather, how it up and down at this time of year. We, we, we all share the confusion of how polka music became so popular. But in a serious note, I think what we all share is an experience of rejection. It's something that, that no matter who you are, it doesn't take long to be on this planet before you begin to experience rejection. And, and the thing about rejection is, is it lasts longer than just a moment. The actual event of the rejection is, is really small compared to the damage and the devastation that it leaves behind. Because what ends up happening, that, that, re, that rejection that we experience it, it, it begins to, to cause all kinds of, of further problems in our minds, problems in our soul. You see, what, what makes it so devastating is that we weren't designed to experience it. We were designed to need and experience the opposite, uh, that being acceptance, approval. In the same way that we need oxygen, the same way that we need food, and the same way we need sleep. And so when, when you're experiencing rejection, it's not just the, the, you know, well, I didn't get that approval and acceptance in that moment. I actually am take that, that approval and that acceptance is taken away from me. And, and so I actually am, I'm at a loss now. And, and so we all begin to struggle with that because it begins to transform how we see ourselves. It begins to ultimately deform how we see ourselves and how we even see other people and how we see God. Because what it begins to produce within us is this sense of shame, this, this sense of fear, that if, if that person could reject me in that situation, what will prevent this person over here from rejecting me? What's, what's going to prevent me from experiencing more rejection down the road? I mean, if I could be so easily discarded, so easily cast aside, so easily put down, then, then this person might do it as well. But even worse is I, I actually think that there's a good chance because it's true. You see, that's, that's the true damage of the rejection is it, is it begins to, the sense of shame, the sense of inadequacy, the sense that there's something wrong with me begins to, to take hold within me that I actually now begin to believe that I am in fact inadequate and unwanted. And that the relationships that I'm in, that when, if I'm there too long, I'm going to get found out. I'm going to get exposed. And they're going to see me for who I see myself. And that's when that rejection is going to come. And that's when the hurt comes with it. And so this, this thing about rejection, again, it's, it's universal. It's all across the planet. And, and it's just, it's absolutely devastating and powerful. And it can come in many forms. It could come through abuse. 
Maybe it's physical abuse. Maybe it's, it's emotional or verbal abuse. Maybe it was sexual abuse growing up. And, and so we could experience it in a, in a very negative and very harsh way. Maybe it, it was through neglect, where, where we had, uh, had parents who just didn't care, absolutely left us to our own devices, were indifferent towards us and what we were struggling with. Or, or maybe to a lesser degree, but still there, it was our, our, our loved ones, our parents, or our friends, they, they withheld that love and affection. That we were always, always on the outside, always feeling like I just don't quite fit in and belong. Maybe, maybe we had people who were very controlling of us. Maybe, again, it was parents, maybe it was older siblings who kept telling us what to do all the time. Or maybe it was through condemnation through critical, harsh, judgmental comments or looks. You're not wearing that, are you? This, this constant message that there's something not right with you. But I think the worst form of rejection is actually the one that's the most subtle. It's conditional acceptance. It's this idea that, that I, I can do something to earn it, that I can somehow achieve your love and affection and your approval, if I tick all the right boxes, if I'm the good girl, the good boy, if I'm, if I'm able to measure up to your standards, if I speak the right way, listen to the right music, dress the right way, laugh the right jokes, if I'm funny or good looking, if I have the right body shape and, and so forth, and we're striving to now earn it. And, and I say it's so devastating because it's so subtle. Because ultimately, the acceptance that we're thinking we're getting is not the acceptance we need. See, to, we, we reach the end and then discover that instead of it being real, healthy acceptance, it's the equivalent of plastic fruit. It looks good. It looks shiny. But you bite into it and you discover there's nothing life-giving at all but just poison. And the problem is it just fuels that drive to perform and strive even more. It's, it's why religion can be so devastating. Because what religion and, and the law has, has said is that you can somehow earn that approval from God. And yet with God, it, it doesn't work that way. With God, he, he didn't wait for you to get your act together. He didn't wait for you to somehow begin to behave right and act right and think right and get all the, the right dogma in your mind and your thinking. No, no, while you and I were yet sinners while we were messed up, while we were in a, in a miserable, ugly place, God came and he rescued us. God came and he redeemed us. He saved us, not because we earned it, not because we achieved something, but because we were in need of saving, because we were in this misery, in this pit of rejection. And so we, we, we recognize how, how much rejection is going on in our world. I mean, especially in this last year, I've noticed that we've, we've begun to develop certain litmus tests as to who can be accepted and who's not. And it's based on your political views. It's, it's based on whether you, what you think about masks and what you think about lockdowns or what you think about vaccines. And there's so many charged conversations now with people. And it all, we're trying to figure out, well, what do I say and who can I say it with and who's safe, who's not, trying to figure out when I'll be safe, when I'll be accepted when I'll be okay. And you see, the problem is we're so desperately in need of acceptance that we'll basically do whatever we can, whatever, whatever, whatever we need to do to, to get it, to maintain it. 
And so maybe growing up, we, we strive and try and get good marks at school. Maybe we try to do everything to please mom and please dad. Or maybe we do everything we can just so they don't get upset and angry and have a bad day. Or, or maybe we're striving to, to fit in with our friends. And so we fall into the trap of peer pressure. Or maybe with a boyfriend or a girlfriend where we, we give our body over to them thinking that if I, if I have sex with them, maybe then they'll love me. Maybe then they'll accept me. Except again, it's all conditional, which means it's not actual acceptance. They may accept your performance, but they don't ultimately accept you and what you're doing. So we do all kinds of things. Maybe it's we start to party and drink and drugs and, and so forth. And then, then maybe we find that one person. That, that one person that really seems to be, to be interested in you. And that relationship begins to grow and grow. And then eventually you, you propose or your proposal's made and you get married and you think, finally, finally, I have found someone to love me, someone to accept me, someone who thinks I'm special. I mean, think about how excited you were that first time you found out that person loved you. I mean, you were probably over the moon. Right? I mean, I, I still remember when, when Greg and Megan were getting together and, and, and Greg found out that Megan liked him. I mean, the guy, he was, he was about three feet off the ground. It was, it's a little pathetic, really. No, it was good. It was so good to see. There was just that excitement. And it's, it's not wrong. It's natural. It's, a, it's wonderful to know that someone loves you. But then things begin to fade. Again, like that, that first punch in the face now, where things don't go as smooth as you thought they would. You, again, you had this plan that we'd get married and we'd be happy and then maybe we'd have some kids and, and we'd settle down and everything would be wonderful. And we just thought our, the fairy tale ending was coming. But it didn't go that way. Things were, you know, hurtful things were said or misunderstandings happened or disappointments and things didn't go our way. And, and so that, that, excitement begins to fade and then we also begin to diminish the uh, diminish the significance of that person's love where now we are initially excited that i can't believe someone loved me it now becomes well you're you're kind of stuck with me now so you have to love me it, it's sort of like i know my mom loves me cuz she's my mom and so her her love her opinion of me doesn't really count and so that's what we do with with one another and so we diminish that love we don't value it as much. Or again, maybe they've done something to hurt us. Maybe there was some betrayal. Maybe there was hurtful words. And now we find it really hard to trust them. We don't trust their motives. We don't trust their, their intent. We think maybe they're just trying to make things right, but they don't really mean it. And so again, the problem is that any, any love and approval that comes our way we don't actually embrace and accept and we put it aside. But we still need the approval. We still need the love. And so now we go looking for it in other places. So now, now we give up on our spouse maybe or it's not enough. And so we look to our work. We look to jobs or career. Maybe if I get that promotion, maybe if I land that client, maybe if I can grow the business, maybe if I get that job, maybe it's my friends, maybe my school, maybe it's my hobbies. Maybe it's the inappropriate relationships that we begin to pursue. People online, maybe in person. 
knowing that we're, we're building emotional connections with people that we ought not to be building them with, or maybe even physical ones as well. See, all of those things are our ways of trying to earn and achieve love and approval and acceptance, trying to supplement what we're getting from our spouses or from other people. Problem is, it's never enough. And so now I need to protect myself. Now I need to make sure that what approval and acceptance I do have, albeit not much, I got to make sure no one takes it away from me. So now I begin to build some safety nets, some, some, build some walls from people so that they can be around me, but they can never get close enough to hurt me. They can never get close enough to actually land a wound. Or maybe I withdraw. Where, where I start to see they getting a little too close, pull away, pull away, pull away. I got to get out of here, got to get out of here. Or maybe we just don't trust people at all. Or we begin to reject them before they have a chance to reject us. It's sort of like a, a first strike approach in a war. If I, have, if I reject you first, then you will be pushed away. You'll drive away and you won't have opportunity to hurt me. Or if you do, it's expected because of my rejection. And so we do all these things to protect ourselves. But again, we're still carrying all our wounds. We're still carrying our hurts. So we got to find a way to comfort those wounds. And so we numb ourselves with Netflix and, and watching, you know, prime TV or sports or, or maybe we go on social media and we're just on that endless scroll through Facebook or TikTok or Twitter or, or Instagram. Or we just kind of check out and look at, the, look at the phone right now. In fact, some of you might be doing that right now. I, I, I see you guys. So put your phone down. See, all of these things are really, it's our, it's our flesh. It's, it's our attempts to try and find life apart from God, to protect ourselves from, from further hurt apart from God, to comfort ourselves apart from God. And, and the problem is what we've done is we've we failed to understand ultimately who the source is. You see, your spouse was never meant to be your source of acceptance and approval. I mean, I, I was excited and overjoyed when I found out that, that Joy had feelings of affection and, and, and love towards me in the same way I had towards her. But she's not my source of, of acceptance and approval. She is a conduit. She is a vehicle. But that source has been and always will be God. And you see, what we need to understand is that, that God is wanting to work through the various people in our lives. I, I want to use this illustration for you to kind of paint the picture here. You know, let's think about food, the food on your table. You know, where does that food on the table come from? Well, for most of us, it's, it's the, the grocery stores, right? The supermarkets, the, the Costco's and Freshco's and food basics of the world. And that's, you go to the supermarket and that's where you get your food. But honestly, that's not where the food comes from, right? I mean, you know, they don't grow, thankfully, they don't grow ground beef there. Instead, all that food that we're seeing, it's coming from a farm. And in many ways, in my illustration here, the farm is the source. The supermarket is simply the delivery or the vessel by which we gain access to the farm. And so think about it this way. If maybe you have a particular grocery store. Maybe you love to go shopping at Food Basics. And then one day that Food Basics store shuts down. Does that mean you go without food? Not at all. You just go find another grocery store. You go find another Food Basics or, or a Freshco or a Zayers or a Costco and you go shop for your groceries at another store, but the source hasn't changed. It's still the farm. 
And then what if all the grocery stores go out of, out of business? Does that mean you go without food? No, then you just go directly to the farm. You see, the same idea works here that, that God's the source of life, of all things we need in life, of not just the physical needs, but more importantly, our spiritual and soulful needs. They need to be loved. The need for that approval, that acceptance, that need of worth and value and significance, that need of peace and hope and joy. All of that is coming from God. But what God has decided to do, what he's chosen to do, is to work through people. I know that doesn't make sense. It's highly inefficient. As an engineer, I, I just think that is the least efficient way of delivering life. I mean, it'd be way better if God delivered it directly, but the reality is he's chosen to involve people. And I think it's because that way he can share the blessings with other people. So what that means is that, that joy becomes the vessel and the conduit by which God shows me the value and the respect that I need. And in doing so, not only do I experience that value and respect that I need, but joy is blessed in the process of that. In the same way that I get to be the vessel of love towards her and our kids that they need. And I get to benefit in being a part of that. And so the source is God. I am the delivery. I'm the, the vessel, the distributor. And then when I don't play along, then God sends other means, other ways to provide that love and that acceptance that my wife and my kids need. Maybe it's through friends. Maybe it's through uh, another family member. Maybe it's, it's just, you know, they, they hear a song on the radio. Who listens to radio anymore? Maybe on, on their Spotify or something like that. Maybe, maybe God does something directly where he just reveals something in, in nature, in a sunset, or, or just in a thought. The point is this, is that God's the source of all that. And we need to recognize that he's the source and not our spouse, which means I don't need to demand it from my spouse. Instead, what I can do is I can receive it from them or through them. But knowing that if it doesn't come that way, it's gonna, it's gonna come from God. And that begins to change now my approach towards them. Because it's no longer I need them. Now I'm looking to Jesus. And now I get to switch it around and offer it to them. You know, there's a, a famous quote by JFK in his inauguration where he made the statement, ask not what your, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Great statement. One that I think is needed today on many, many levels, but I think even in our marriage, we, too often we look to our spouses, what can I get from you? And the reality is Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. And if I recognize God's my source, even when my spouse is not offering that love and acceptance, I can now offer that unconditional love and acceptance to them. So what is that... What does that mean? What does that look like? I think maybe the best way to look at it is to understand of it as receiving our spouse. Or again, if it's in other relationships, be it your children or your coworkers or your friends or your church, just it's receiving other people. And, and, and what, what that means or what that looks like is, again, it's this unconditional reception. In, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 7, Paul writes these words. He says, therefore, accept one another just as Christ also has accepted us to the glory of God. He, he's saying to us, accept one another in the same way, just as. 
So you think about how did God accept you and me? It's not, thankfully, because we measured up to the law. It's not because of your behavior, thankfully. It's not because you, you check all the right boxes, thankfully. God accepts you because he's made you acceptable. God's accepted you because of what Christ has done on the cross. Amen. See, on that cross, what he did is he, he actually made you acceptable. He made you lovable, which is much more than just being accepted and being loved. He qualified you when he made you a new person and gave you a new heart. He made you righteous and holy. Now what Paul is saying is what we can do is we can offer that now to other people as well. That we can see them, not just as God sees them, but ultimately for who they are in fact today, which is more than their behavior, more than what they're doing, some of more than just their mistakes but ultimately now for who they are in Jesus. See, Paul says these words in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16 and 17. He says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. We don't, we don't judge one another based on how, how they behave and how they act. We don't judge Danielle for marrying John anymore, is what I'm saying. We don't look down on them. Instead, you know, we don't judge one another. We don't recognize one another according to the flesh, even though we've once have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has, has placed their faith in Jesus, is now in Jesus, united with Jesus Christ, they're a new creation, a new person. They've been born again because of the cross. And the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. They're already this new person. And that's, that's how we can see them. That's how we can begin to recognize who they are. And, and that simple shift transforms a marriage. To look beyond the behavior, to look beyond the shortcomings, to look beyond the, the mistakes into the heart of that person. And I think... I think that's how our marriage covenant, our marriage ceremony was, was crafted. I mean, think about it. The very first marriage was Adam and Eve. And, and in many ways, God kind of walked Eve down the aisle to Adam, right? He, he you know, recognized that Adam was, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And, and after making all these animals and Adam cluing in that these animals are not for me, who's the one for me? Who's the one like me? And so God puts him to sleep, removes a rib, Fashions, as we said, this, this incredible masterpiece that is woman, Isha, my lady. And he brings my lady to Adam, to Ish, my Lord. And he walks her down the aisle and, and Adam says those oh so romantic words. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Again, doesn't sound very romantic, but, but in the reality, what he was saying is this is the one for me. This is the one like me. And what he was doing is he was saying, I accept her as she is. I accept her to be mine. Because what he saw that day was someone that was perfect for him. The perfect one to come alongside him. That's what he saw. And, and that's what our spouse is for you and I. See, I want you to think about it. Think about your wedding day. 
Remember that excitement you had when you were getting ready to, to, to marry this person and, and, you know, as a bride, you're walking down the aisle or maybe as the groom, you're waiting for her to walk down this aisle. And then at some point during your ceremony, the, the officiant would have said something about a vow. And maybe you used the traditional vows or maybe you, you wrote your own vows, but chances are in that vow, there was something to the effect of, I take this person in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, for richer or poor. See, what that was, that was a declaration. That was a, you were entering into this covenant of simply saying, I unconditionally receive you as a gift to me. You're mine, as you are, for better or for worse. Meaning that I hope things improve. I hope you continue to grow and mature. But even if you don't, I still receive you. And we're able to do that because of who that person is. Again, they're a new creation. If we can see, see beyond the behavior, see to the heart of who they are, who God's made them, that allows us to accept and receive them for better or for worse, sickness and health, richer or poor. And that unconditional acceptance now says, no matter what, we're in this together. And so if you're struggling, I'm struggling. If you're succeeding, I'm succeeding. If, if things aren't going well, then we're going to get through it together. And that confidence of that acceptance of that approval allows us to rest, allows us to let our guard down enough to let the other person in to allow that love to happen. And that's so important, especially as we grow older, especially as we, our bodies change and, and we lose some of that youthful beauty. It's especially important as we, we go through life and we, we collect more hurts and, and more nicks and scars from other people, not even within our own marriage, to, to have that knowledge that Christ in my spouse is loving and accepting me, providing to me that life that I need. You see, what we need to understand is that love and that acceptance is not a one-time thing we need. Like oxygen, like food, like, like sleep, it's something we consistently need. And to be loved and to be accepted is, is an ongoing thing. It's not enough to experience just in one big moment. That's the equivalent of having a really big meal, hoping that it will last you for 10 years. It doesn't work that way. No matter how wonderful that big meal was, you're going to be hungry again in a few hours. No matter how big and a powerful way God showed you his approval and his acceptance, you're going to need to experience that again in a little bit, which is why he's offered to you your spouse to be the vessel by which he shows that. And that works both ways. That I offer it to joy, trusting Jesus, and joy offers it to me, trusting Jesus. And so here's now, here's how we can begin to apply that to protecting one another. Because again, we're, we're on the same team. You know, Joy and I were one. Her success is mine. My success is hers. And when she's struggling, I'm struggling and vice versa. Because our enemy is not one another. Our enemy is, is the dark forces. It's, it's Satan. It's the flesh. It's, it's spiritual demonic stuff that are coming against us, trying to create a wedge, trying to create a division between us, trying to get us to turn on one another. 
Because the moment we begin to have infighting, that's the moment now we're susceptible to all kinds of attacks from it. And so now what I can do, if, if Joy's on my team and I'm on her team, I can offer protection to her in the same way she can offer protection to me. Meaning that when one of us sees the other person struggling, we can recognize it for what it is, that they're under attack, that, that maybe what's happening is, is, is shame or flesh is beginning to undermine who they think they are, beginning to stir up some hurts, beginning to stir up some doubts, some questions, beginning to, sh to stir up those old fears, that the inadequacy and, and this disappointment in self and feeling worthless and, in, and insignificant and I just don't matter and I'm unloved and I'm rejected. And because I feel that, I begin to act out now. Maybe I act out with anger. Maybe I act out with trying to control things. Maybe I act out with withdrawing. I begin to act out in, in particular flesh patterns that, that are my go-to. Again, either performing, protecting, or trying to comfort myself. And when I'm doing that, Joy will recognize that in me. And now she has the opportunity to come alongside and protect me. And, and maybe, maybe what happens is, is what we've done is we've kind of developed a bit of a code phrase. It's based off of a character from a book called No Mercy that, that Press Gillum wrote many years ago, where, where this character called Jester, who represents the flesh, how Jester's attacks us. And so she'll say something about, I think you're listening to Jester right now. When I hear that, I know that she's not trying to put me down. And that's what's so key here. I know that she's coming to my aid and trying to show me where the real battle's going on. Because in the midst of that battle, I'm so upside down. I'm so topsy-turvy. I don't know which way's up or down or left or right that I don't even re recognize the battle's happening. All I feel, all I recognize is I'm getting kicked and I'm getting kicked hard. And when she says those words to me, that simple code phrase, it allows me to, to, to snap back into reality. It allows me to, to, to snap back to see what's really happening and what's going on. Josh talked about this a, a couple weeks ago, right? When he talked about, you know, wearing the house coat. And when he shows up in the house coat, that's the, that signal to, to those around him that, that he's in trouble and he needs help and he needs protection. Sarah knows that when he's wearing a moo moo, he's really in trouble. So that's all hands on deck sort of thing. But, but it's, it's helpful sometimes to have those code phrases that can, can go back and forth. But you see, the, the real challenge comes not, not in when joy offers me protection, but will I take it? See, what she's doing is she's offering me a lifeline. She's, she put her hand out and says, grab my hand, I'll, I'll pull you to safety. The question is, will I take, take the opportunity? And it's hard sometimes because maybe the thought is, well, you're just saying that you're playing the religious card. You're playing the God card because you're just trying to win the argument. You're trying to get out of it. You know, I'm right. And you're, you're just trying to over-spiritualize it. More attacks from the flesh, more attacks of trying to get me to, to, to push her away and isolate myself so that it can just keep beating me up. So I got to trust she's not trying to control me. She's not trying to manipulate me. She's not trying to win the argument. Instead, what she's doing is she's offering me an off-ramp. That this path that I'm on, that I've, I've, I've journeyed down too many times and I know how it ends. 
the anger, the control, the moodiness, the withdrawal, the, the looking to food or all kinds of things, trying to comfort that pain. Will I take her off on that offer and I take the off ramp and begin to slow down and let Jesus through joy love me? Let Jesus through joy comfort me. Let Jesus through joy offer that help. And when I take that off ramp, I find those things. I find that protection. And, I, and the voice of the enemy doesn't disappear right away, but it begins to get quieter as I recognize God's encouragement and God's love for me. And so that, that opportunity to protect one another. And again, it, it happens between not just husband and wife, but it can happen between friends. It can happen, you know, what's really cool is when you get to offer that protection to your kids, but when your kids then begin to offer that protection to you. And with our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends and, and, and so forth. It's, it's why it's so important to develop that community of grace, that community of trust before the trouble hits so that we can be there to one another, be there as a support to one another. But we're focusing on marriage this morning. And so here's what I want you guys to do. Husband and wife, I want you to take this moment right now, if you're willing to, and I know it's risky. And I thought about, do we, do we go here this, this morning? But I think it's worth the risk. And I, I recognize that maybe you woke up and you're already angry and you're disappointed that your hubby didn't do enough on Mother's Day but I want you to right now to take the chance and, and turn to one another. If you're kind of sitting in opposite sides of the room, then come sit beside each other. And I want you to grab each other's hands and I want you to look into each other's eyes and I'm, I'm gonna lead you through kind of a, another vow, another, another commitment of accepting one another. So we're gonna start with you, hubby. Repeat after me. Say your wife's name, honey. Today, this morning, I receive you as a gift from God. And I offer to you protection whenever you need it, knowing that you are a righteous, beloved child of God. And I unconditionally accept you for better or for worse, in sickness and health, richer or poor. And wives, you get to do the same thing. Look into your hubby's eyes and say their name. I receive you as a gift from God. And I offer you protection to show you that love and that acceptance from Jesus Christ. As I unconditionally accept you for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, sickness and health. I hope you're able to do that to one another. I hope you're able to offer that going forward. And I'd encourage you to have a conversation about what would be a good co-phrase or a good way to both offer that protection and maybe even more difficult, ask for it. And I know that's probably the more, more difficult one because it, it shows humility. It, it, it opens us up to being all kinds of vulnerability. And what if they don't accept me? What if they don't come to my aid? But I want you to know it's worth the risk because in there you will find Jesus waiting and wanting to strengthen you. And it creates this incredible bond 
between the three of you, between you, your spouse, and Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for the simple truth that we don't have to do relationships on our own. And that because you're our source, because you're everything we need, even when we face rejection, even when we face disappointment, your love and acceptance is greater than that. And it will overwhelm us even in our hurts. But Lord, we may not understand why you've chosen to, but you have chosen to work through our spouse. You've chosen to work through other people. And I pray that each person would risk that that being true. Each person would, would offer the opportunity to receive that love and protection from their, from their spouse. And that our spouses would know those moments and recognize those moments as they're listening to you and they would act on it. And that, that those relationships would become strong and powerful. Because that relationship at home begins to impact our kids and our neighbors and our friends and our society as a whole. And I can't think of anything that glorifies who you are better than how we love each other. So we're trusting you to teach us, Jesus, knowing that we haven't mastered it and we're all on a journey of learning it, but that you would continue to teach and instruct us how to offer that to one another. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.